chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate uh, Jonah leading those songs for us this morning. Singing, singing is exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. Appreciate the visitors here. If you are visiting uh, with us this morning, you've caught us on a good day. You caught us on a day that we are continuing something that, that started really about six months ago, where we see what songs that we love. We're going to make a list, and then first Sunday of every month, we're going to go through that list, and we're going to reveal... We're going to break down each one of those songs, starting in January last month and going all the way through December of this year with, and with Westside's favorite song, our top song. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, have them out and get them ready. I won't tell you what verse we're going to be going to first, but go ahead and have your Bibles out and have them open. This is going to fall. I'm going to move that. Have you ever thought about what it takes to write a song, to write a hymn, and to write a good one? Hey, I'll take that a step farther. Have you ever thought about what songs, like why songs are separated? Like what makes one song really good and uh, this song, eh, maybe not so much? What makes song like this one's going to be a future golden oldie and this song's just going to be like an oldie and what song is going to be so good that it's just going to demand to be sung again and again and talked about at Brahms and at wing night and other songs we just assume well you know maybe we just want them to retire like one one song is going to be an instant classic and this song is just going to be kind of like a one and done I think I have some of those answers I've spent a lot of time thinking about this because there was a moment when I thought I had what it, what it takes to write a song. And I learned very quickly, and thankfully for you, it didn't work out. I don't know what it takes to write a song, but I think, well, I, take, I, I think I do know what it takes to write a song. I just don't know how, like the execution part. And I've never done it, but I feel like I kind of know. And this morning, we're going to go over what I think, what it takes to write the ideal church song. We'll go through the this clicker works. If we're moved over to the right side, we are. Oh, turn it off. It is on now. I'm used to always being on. It was off. Okay, so I think the ideal church hymn for me is it's just gonna start with simple Bible-based words. It's not gonna have anything fancy. It's not gonna be have anything complicated. Nothing that's gonna leave you like really scratching your heads. Like wondering, well, what do we just sing? 
You know, now I have to go to Google and figure out what this phrase means or, or what that is. None of that. It's just going to be straight from God's Word. I don't want people arguing with me over the lyrics of a song. I'd rather them have to argue with God because the lyrics are going to come straight from the Bible. And these words, they're going to tell a story or they're going to give a thought. They're going to, they're going to complete a thought. And this is going to help it flow, uh, which I think is critical. It's not going to be choppy. It's going to move from one point to another. Uh, but at the same time, it's just going to focus on one idea. I've heard that uh, some new writers, when they're trying to write songs, they spend too much time trying to like say too much. It seems like with lyric writing, like less is more. So if you're going to write a song, less is more. Um, and so these words, you know, they're going to be brief. They're not going to be choppy. Maybe three, three and a half minutes, nothing too long. And these words are going to be meaningful, but they're not going to be complicated. And then those lyrics are eventually going to involve the singer. They're going to get personal. Yes, they're going to, they're going to check some topical boxes from the back of the book, certainly. But it's going to get personal because at some point the song is going to include them. It's going to talk about the singer. It's going to include them. And then once those lyrics are in place, then the music will be added. You know, I used to think that whenever you would write a song, that you would write the tune first, and then you would add the lyrics. And that's true for some songs, but it's my understanding that um, you write the lyrics first. And then once you write the words, then the tune writes itself. And so the tune of this song is going to demand to use all of the musical elements available. It's going to have tempo. It's going to have some speed change. It's not just going to be all one speed. It's going to have some volume change. Maybe you sing soft and then you're going to sing loud again and then you'll go back to singing soft. Um, and, you know, ultimately this is going to build towards one big moment. It's going to have some type of climax, uh, if you will. All songs really uh, have a climax. All songs have a big moment. I don't know if you noticed the, the Lord's Supper song we just sang. You could tell where we were when we would swell and we were louder. There was, there's bigger moments, and each verse has that, and a good worship leader can find that, and they can capture that big moment, and they can bring that out. Dane, you all know Dane Shepherd. he's a master at that. He's a master at taking any song and unpacking it and figuring out where the emphasis needs to be. It's like when I lead a song, and then when Dane leads a song, you're like, oh yeah, that's the way the song is supposed to be led. And then the song is going to have some type of like call and response. It's going to have some type of echoing, almost like we're singing to each other just as much as we're singing to God. And then this song is also going to be unique. It's going to be unique. It's going to be attainable. It's not always going to follow all the rules. It's not always going to follow all of the strict songwriting criteria that you may come across. It's going to have elements that you just can't teach in a class. It's going to be special. It's going to be creative. It's going to be individual. And then this song is going to be small congregation approved. It's got to be attainable. It's got to be a song that can't be so difficult that the only ones that can sing the song are the ones who have music degrees. And there's only like five people, you know, in the congregation that can sing it because that's not good for anybody. It's got to be approachable. And the goal of all of this is so this song is effective. I think to write a song means 
that you need to touch the heart. You need to convict. And maybe this song is going to, maybe it'll make you smile, but then it's going to maybe draw, you know, bring tears to your eyes as you, you know, work your ways through the different levels of the song. You write a song that has these elements, this ideal church hymn, and then you're going to be left with a song that will withstand the years. It will be, um, it'll be forever preserved in the history of Church of Christ worship. And I think that, that you all kind of agree with me on some of these things, because this is exactly what the song that, has, uh, that, that you voted into our number 11 spot and that is Exalted. And I am thrilled that this song has made Westside's favorite list. I was hoping it would. But this song, just like last month's song, the number 12 song, For You Have Promised, is a song that doesn't really get led a lot here, yet it still made the list. This morning's lesson is going to be why it still made the list, even though we don't sing it very often. And I think I know why it doesn't get led very often. It's because it has a lot of those musical elements that we kind of just talked about, and that can kind of make a song a little bit intimidating. It can make a song a little bit challenging. Um, it can scare the leader off. And it scared me off, really, for um, a long time. I, I have known this song for a long time, but I was always too intimidated to lead it. I apologize. I didn't think it would go well. But do you know who would lead it? Do you know who wasn't afraid? Who, who thought, you know, it, it, it's okay that you may not think it's going to go well, because I think it will be. Do you know who would lead the song? Sean would. Here I am thinking, oh, this song's too complicated, and we don't have what it takes, and this song's not approachable. It's not simple enough, but I was wrong. This song actually does check all the boxes of the ideal church song. It is approachable. It's very church friendly. It does have all of those traits. And I know this song would have been on Sean's list because he loved this song. He loved um, the, the words. He loved leading the song. He loved the music. He wasn't afraid of it. He loved the story behind this song. And this song has a great story. It has some fantastic writers. It has some of the most powerful words that you'll ever read in a song. So I want to spend a few moments looking at the words of Exalted. Uh, then we'll kind of talk about, um, we'll talk about some tips whenever we sing this, which will be in a few moments. It'll be the closing song for us uh, this morning. Um, you know, a lot of the songs that we sing, a majority of the songs that we sing, were written by people that we don't know. They're written by people who maybe they lived in the 1700s or 1800s, and we don't know them. We never will. And so we're kind of left with just kind of like trusting Google that the story behind the song is accurate, and maybe we can be left with some type of information about the authors and the composers and what the, the purpose and motivation was for why they wrote the song, but not this one. Exalted was written by modern writers, like our contemporaries, people that uh, some of you know who live really close to us. In fact, there's, there's quite a few songs that are written by people that live close to us and, that, and that, that we know. And this is a great opportunity for us. Like We can go to them. We can approach them. We can pick their brain. And that's really special. Like We can hear it straight from their mouths why they wrote their song. Because every song has a story. 
every song has, a, there's something that motivated uh, the person to, to write the song. So keep this in mind whenever these writers come to our building, which they do. And they will. And when Dane Shepard and Tim Stevens and different ones, they come into our building, we can sit at their feet and we can learn a lot about this really important act of worship. And if you can't wait, you can call them or you can email them or you can text them and they can talk to you. Uh, sometimes we pedestalize them and think that they're not approachable, but they really are because they're real people just like, like, like you and me. And I know they are because I've talked to them about the songs that they've written. Some of you, um, some of you know the writers of this song. I don't know them, but I know some people here do. And I hope this, well, hopefully it'll come back. If it doesn't, then you all can just flip your seats around because that, that one's still working. Uh, but Charlie Coucherman and Matt Basford were the writers. They were the creators of this song. And Matt wrote the words, and uh, Charlotte wrote, wrote the music. And I was, I was able to hear straight from them why this song was written. Like, what, what was the motivation? What was the purpose? And I want to tell you that story. 1998, Matt Basford was attending the singing school. You guys have heard about the singing school. This one was the year that it was in Miami, Miami Oklahoma. He was there. Uh, yours truly was also there although I was there for other reasons. Uh, but uh, Matt was there, and he, he heard a lesson on that Sunday morning that was preached by Craig Roberts, and it was over, it was over um, the glory, it was called The Glories and the Shame. It was about the ironies in Scripture. It highlighted the contrast between Jesus' triumphal uh, entrance into Jerusalem and then his death a few days later, this criminal's death on the cross. And he thought this was a fantastic lesson, and it moved him. He thought, I need to write a song about this. He had something he wanted to say, but he didn't know how to say it. He became fascinated with the rich irony that's in Scripture, and it's all throughout the Bible, and especially this irony of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and then his crucifixion less than a week later. But putting irony into music, putting irony into to words that we could sing, it was a grand challenge. It's one thing to write a song, but to write a song that has these contrasts, it, it, it was proven to be too much, and it was to be a challenge for even the greatest songwriters, and so he failed, and he failed again and again, but he was determined to write this song because it was, it was on his heart, and, but again, this, this irony in scripture was, was getting to be too much for him. It's like trying to build a car, and instead of starting with like a lawnmower or like a go-kart, like a small engine, you go straight to like trying to build a BMW. Matt was trying to write a BMW. He was trying to write this song that not only is going to have like complicated lyrics, but these complicated lyrics needed music. And the, and the, the music needed to match the feel of every verse, which was really proving too difficult for him. But of course he didn't give up. He kept trying. And over the course of the following months, he had this breakthrough. He decided, well, instead of trying to, like, rhyme everything, he decided to do parallels. Have you ever noticed that, that well, take the first song, take, take, the, take every song we sing. Flip, you can flip through the book. So you notice, like, pretty much all of them rhyme. Like, 90% of them are going to rhyme. Take the, the Lord's Supper song that we just sang. And if I was quick, 
If I was smart enough, I'd be able to recite it to you. But in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. It rhymes. And they have what they call meter. Rhyming and meter is what gives songs structure. If you don't have structure in a song, it's going to tank. It's going to fail. But a song like Exalted was too difficult to have rhyme and meter and have these perfectly linked verses. And so, like I said, instead of using rhymes, he used parallels. Parallels, like what he says the, the Hebrew poets did. And once he made that mental switch, Exalted was written 30 minutes later. 30 minutes. Exalted doesn't rhyme, but it doesn't need to. 30 minutes. But now he needs a tune. And like I said, once you get the words written, the tune writes itself. The words are the hard part, but not with this song. This song, verse to verse, is different than any other song. Remember, it's a song about opposites. It's about contrast. It's about these parallels. Try writing a song that the tune matches the emotional tone of every verse. When every verse carries a different feel. So let's look at these words. Known before the world, seen in future days, glimpsed by righteous men, son of God. Remember, it doesn't rhyme. Sin as David's heir, named an ageless king, granted all the earth, exalted. Seen with blinded eyes, heard by heedless ears, met with wicked hearts, son of God. Worshipped with contempt, crowned with blood and thorns, throned upon a cross, exalted, scorned by those who watched, mocked by all the wise, loved within belief, Son of God, born to take my death, slain to give me life, Jesus, Son of God, exalted, exalted. These words, these verses need the perfect tune because verse 1 is lofty. It's majestic, talking about Jesus being the heir of David, the whole world pointing towards the coming of Jesus. But then verse 2 is almost all negative. All the hor horrible things that people uh, did to Jesus and, and, and how he was received. And then verse 3, you get a mix where sometimes he's sneered at <clears throat> and he's mocked, but he's still worshipped and, and believed, loved within belief. And that's really tough to put music to. It's hard to, to, for, for the same tune to fit the mood, the, the emotional feel of every one of these verses. Think about it, all the other songs that you sing, that we sing. The tune matches the words and the verses. It has to. If it doesn't, it'll feel out of place. It'll feel disconnected. Matt gives the example of singing Amazing Grace to the tune of Gilligan's Island. I mean, you can go through it, and we can sing it if you want. It works. You can do that. But, it, it, but that tune, that music, takes away the emotion from, from the words. And this wouldn't work either if it doesn't have the right tune. Because verse-to-verse -verse structure in a hymn is a very real thing. And it's a real thing that really jammed Matt up. It was his final hurdle that he needed to get over, and he just couldn't do it. Uh, enter Charlie Couchman. Charlie Couchman is a modern-day, phenomenally talented composer. She's written a lot of songs that we sing. And the music to a lot of songs we sing, like How Long Till the Morning, and Abba Father, and Sing and Rejoice in the Savior's Birth. 
the first song in the book. Uh, the Lord is my light. Christ lives in me. We've been singing that one here a lot lately. Christ lives in me. And Charlie crushed it, to say the least. She figured out a way to write a song, a tune that would fit all of this. A song that was supposed to fail, she was able to bring it to life. A song with difficult, verse-to-verse structuring that required this complex, original, perfect melody that would actually match the uniqueness of the words she pulled off with a simple tune. In a sense, the tune she wrote was ironic. She broke the rules of, of traditional music writing. And so when sung, the chords of this unique song, this tune, combined with the words, and together they, they pull out the emotion, and they bring to life this, this, uh, the grandness of Jesus' glory and his suffering. It's, this, it's an incredible achievement. And I know I've spent some time talking about this, but I really wanted to because this, this was no small task. Exalted is not a normal song. Like out of all the songs, this is a different one. And so I want you to appreciate really how difficult it was them able to pull this off. But of course they don't want the glory, they don't want the praise, they don't want the, the, the honor. The story of the, of the song may be powerful, but what really is powerful is the story of Jesus through the song. And that was their goal. They want, they want, they want God to be glorified. They want the congregation to sing exalted thinking about who Jesus is and was and what he did and what he went through, and how he was received, and where he is now, and what he did for the world. And although we may exalt this song, they want the exaltation to be reserved for Christ. And they want Christ to be exalted by the way that we live our lives. And we can show that exaltation. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant will prosper, he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, which is exactly what we're going to talk about now. I mentioned earlier that a lot of songs are, they're lyric first songs, and, and this song is that, but notice this whole song is little phrases, right? Just little phrases, known before the world, throned upon a cross, just a few words, little, little thoughts, and phrases that are past participles. And this is how Matt gave this song structure. And again, songs need, need structure. We've established that. That's how, that's how they stay together. But it's also how you remember them. That's how the songs become emotionally resonant. And Matt wanted us to remember these words. And these words don't really need a whole lot of explanation. They're pretty simple. They just need to be said and they need to be sung, and they need to be thought about, and taught, and reflected on. And that's, so here's my first little, little pearl for us, little bonus here, is that how about exalted for a Lord's Supper song? Maybe you struggle with, raise your hand if you struggle with what to think about during the Lord's Supper. You have about 10 minutes, and you really want to, you want to fill that 10 minutes. And maybe you kind of run out of things to think about. Well, about saying these little lines to yourself. Jesus said to remember him, and Matt's little one-liners are perfect, easy, powerful phrases that you can use to remember Jesus as you take 
the Lord's Supper. But these lyrics are pretty simple. You can take it a little bit farther and, and think about how verse 1 uh, talks about how Jesus was known before the world. In First uh, Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of, of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Simple lyrics straight from the Bible. You could also think about how the prophets, how they talked about Jesus, they foresaw Jesus, they spoke about him all the time throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the, uh, the entirety of the Old Testament really points to Jesus. And, and how the words of verse 2 uh, from Isaiah 6. He said, go on and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and the ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is how Jesus was going to be received. Sadly, it's the, it's, it's the same today. And yet, despite the way that the world uh, receives Jesus despite the fact that he was rejected and, and today he's still mocked by all the wise, he's still loved within belief. Because this was part of the work that Jesus came to do. He came to do the Father's will. And in order to go high, in order for Jesus to be exalted, he had to go low. He had to be slain. Divine sacrifice, the, the lowness of the cross. And, and that's the, the really the big contrast in this song, and that's why this song is so powerful. The irony of, of Jesus the King dying a criminal's death. Worship of a, of a crucified criminal. Someone who was put to death shamefully. It does not appear under any circumstances as being one who we would think is worthy of exaltation and glory and honor. It's the ultimate expression of irony. In order to save the world, in order to save us, he had to not save himself. And that's what this song just beautifully expresses. And of course, the Bible is, is, is full of irony. Irony helps us uh, remember things, makes us pause and, and think twice. And maybe you're thinking about some of the irony in, in the Bible, and Scripture. You think about Joseph and when his brothers sell him to, to slave traders and tell his dad that he died, but then years later, the same brothers come to Joseph to buy grain so that, so that they won't die. Or you maybe think about Haman, who with the, with the pole of the gallows to execute Mordecai, but then Haman ends up having to execute on that, his very own wooden pole. Or what about David, who tells Nathan, right, about, well, any man who would steal a poor man's only sheep deserves to die. And in do so, he indicts himself, right? Because he stole a poor man's only wife, right? And then, and then you think about uh, Caiaphas, the high priest of Israel, who accused Jesus of, of blasphemy. But in reality, Caiaphas was the one blaspheming Jesus right to his face. Um, the, there's just a few examples. And there are many, many more in Scripture of the irony in the Bible. And they're powerful, but they're not as powerful as the one highlighted in this song. Matthew 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and, and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him 
put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. These soldiers had no idea that, that kneeling and, and bowing to Jesus was actually the most appropriate thing that they, they could be doing, given the reality of who Jesus was. And one day, these very soldiers, as well as all the other uh, millions of people who have mocked Jesus and who have uh, disrespected and have blasphemed him, they will bow down and they will someday worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. Think about the devil. And, you know, everything that he was trying to do to destroy Jesus. And he thinks, well, he's finally come up with, with, with the plan to put him to death on the cross. Right? And yet, just as Haman was, he was killed by what he, his plan, uh, the devil himself, he was hung on, on his own gallows. That Jesus on, on the cross, Jesus is taking the penalty for sinners who've been in captivity to, to, to Satan. And the very thing that Satan thought that would destroy Christ and give Satan the victory is, in fact, a defeat for Satan. We've all read Genesis 3. But Jesus went to the bottom. He was born to take my death, born to take our death. He was thrown upon a cross, slain to give us life. He went to the bottom so he could reign at the top because Jesus didn't stay buried. He didn't, the cross wasn't the end. He was resurrected. He did not stay dead. We remember the, the story of the ascension, the end of the book of Luke, the start of the book of Acts with the ascension and where Jesus was placed. Remember, um, well, you turn your Bibles down to the book of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, the other side of the ascension. Daniel's vision in Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold... With the God of heaven, he the angels before him, and him given people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus has been placed, he's been seated at the right hand of God. He has been exalted. And I can think of no other, really, no other. Um, verses that, that really kind of capture and kind of describe this in Philippians chapter 2 in verses 5 through 11. Well, let's read verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under heaven, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It means he's elevated. He's raised to this, this point now of high honor. He, he's been brought to this high level. He, he met he met death head on, and he conquered it. He charged into to death, the, the things of death, 
against all of the, the arsenal of warfare that was against him, of this most powerful enemy and his exaltation to the right hand of God is clear proof that through his death and resurrection, Christ won. He won the day. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His victory is complete. It's the greatest victory and triumph of all time. But in this passage in Philippians 2, Paul emphasizes not only what Jesus did, but how he did it. You know, he died for our sins on this, like, despicable Roman cross as the suffering servant. Uh, And not by, like, pumping himself up, but by emptying himself out. That word, therefore, is kind of of connects verses 6 through 8 and and 9 and 11. That therefore, he selflessly chose to, to lower himself. And as a result, he's exalted. And that's what this song is about. And that's why it's number 11 on our list. But guess what? We can be exalted as well. Not like Jesus reigning and ruling over over a kingdom. But when we lower ourselves, here's that irony. When we lower ourselves and we are died to our sins and when we go to the bottom and we... We humble ourselves and we submit, we surrender everything um, through baptism. There's the lowness of the cross. We're raised. We're raised to walk in newness of life. We are, in a sense, we're exalted. We're elevated to the point of, of Christian and a relationship. We are now a child of God. We are heirs of the kingdom, the true heirs. We're forgiven. But there's a bigger exaltation that, that will await for us. And I, didn't, I didn't know Matt Bassford. Uh, maybe, you know, some of you here I know did. I didn't know him. I, I wish I'd known him. Uh, he was an incredible guy. Um, what I've been told, you can, you can Google him. You can read some articles about him. Um, but he was a guy that, that worked, you know, intensely and immensely in the, in the kingdom for God. And... He did a lot for the cause of Christ. He did a lot in the writing of songs. A lot of the songs that, that we sing. Exalted is probably his, his, his best. It's probably his most, most famous, his most popular one. Um, but it wasn't his only wrong. In fact, he wrote a lot. And so, um, whenever we sing songs here, and we, we pause so the worship leader can read the verse, take a moment and look at the bottom left and right hand of the screen, and you'll see that, that probably a lot of them uh, were written by, by Matt. But sadly, he won't be writing anymore because he passed away from ALS. A long year struggling with ALS. He was 45 years old. By the way, he was 20. He was 20 when he wrote Exalted. 25 years ago, really, like right around this time, February to April, 25 years ago, Matt wrote Exalted. He wrote this this, uh, this like gem of a song. This song that will be, like it'll be sang until the end of time. And, and I'm really happy that it made our list. I'm confident it would, it would make a lot of other, other people's lists. If they do this in other congregations, um, it'll, it'll make people's lists. Because this song is powerful. But Matt was faithful to the end. He did it. 
And now he's not suffering. Now he's just waiting for the... Sometimes the words are hard. Um, the kingdom to be gathered up and then delivered to God presents it when, when Jesus does that. Um, and on that day will be the ultimate ex- exaltation. We'll all be exalted. We'll, we'll all be elevated, if you will, to... We'll get the crown of righteousness, right, that, that Paul talks about uh, somewhere in the book of Timothy, one of those. Uh, but it's all going to be worth it. Now, Matt wrote a song I've not even looked at. I just I saw it on E-Choice. He wrote a song called The New Song. And uh, someday we will be singing a new song. Probably won't be that one, uh, but it will be a new song, and it's going to have the perfect words with the perfect melody, tune, and uh, I, I doubt God has any trouble writing that song. And we're not going to have any trouble singing it. It's going to be perfect. And I want to sing that song. I want to sing it with you, and I want to sing it with Matt. I want to sing it with, with everyone else. And Matt's goal was, uh, for this song was to show Jesus through the song. He says that that's all that he can ask for through writing a song is to show Jesus. And I think, I think uh, he did that. And, and really, this, he says that's all he can ask for for his life. And that should be something that we could think about and, and strive for. And I think he did that. I want to include this morning by looking at this real quickly, about how we should be singing this song. Um, I know if we're going to sing this song, we need to make sure we do it right. We know it can be a good Lord's Supper song. Worship leaders, keep that in the back of your mind. But what else is important? And I think, well, we need to honor the, the dynamics. Every song has these. They may not be as obvious, but, but they do. They may not, may not be written on the side for us, but every song has, has dynamics. And what do I mean by dynamics? Well, maybe you can read that scale. It's kind of small. That's kind of what I mean. We should be adding these to every song that we sing. And if it's not obvious for us, this is where Jonah did for us really beautifully, like in Christ Alone. He didn't have these, but he found where that big moment is, and we sang louder. And there was moments when we sang softer. He added these to the song and it makes the songs a lot better. It brings out that emphasis. And, but sometimes these dynamics were already in the song. And so here's the, here's the hack. Here, if a composer puts the dynamics on the slide, then like, that's like a double that's like screaming to us that we really need to be singing those. They need to be followed. We need to be following those dynamics. So when Charlie Couchman, when she wrote Exalted, she added the dynamics, and it will make this song so much better if we will follow those dynamics. Um, Hang with me. Let's just look at this real quickly. We're almost through. Check out these dynamics. When we sing this song, it starts out with that little MP. That was from that scale, that little graphic. That means moderately quiet, okay? crescendo. That means take that moderately quiet and then build and get louder and louder and louder to that MF, which is moderately loud, Son of God. That is a big moment. If you can do that all in one breath, that's even better. That takes the choppiness out of it. Uh, singing, singing through phrases and not breathing, I think, is the most underused thing that you could do to really make a song better. But this is a really, really big moment in this song. 
is whenever you go moderately quiet and you crescendo and you build towards a pretty loud son of God. Okay, let's try to do that. And then we're going to go right back to moderately quiet. And then we're going to be loud. And then we're going to go quieter than we even started with that last exalted. We're going to repeat that. And we're going to do that all over again. We're going to start out moderately quiet. We're going to crescendo all in one big belly breath. And we're going to go straight to moderately loud. And then we're going to go back to that same volume we were at when we started. Then we're going to go loud. And then we're going to go even softer. We'll do that in the third verse. All building towards, remember the big moment? Remember the climax? Well, here it is at the very end. Now it says F at the top. That means loud. That's louder than the loud that we were before. So this is the, the biggest part of the song. Of course, it makes sense, right? If we could do that this morning, if we could do that whenever we sing songs, really, really watch the leader. They try to do it. Sometimes we don't follow. Maybe they do it with their hands or their voice, but it, it makes songs a lot better. I want to conclude by saying one more thing. I know I just said that a second ago. Um, I have a feeling there's a lot of people here that don't know this song, and that's okay. Um, give this song a chance. There's a lot of songs on the top 12 that are golden oldies. They're not, I know that the, the first two right out of the gates have been newer songs from the supplement, but there's plenty of songs on our top 12 that are going to be songs that definitely we all know. I just have a suspicion that maybe not everyone knows this song, but give this song a chance. This song is powerful. It's rich. It's, it's, it's gorgeous when all the parts are in full strength. Um, but more than that, the words capture the very essence of, of what it means to be a Christian, of, of salvation. Uh, it describes the one who, who saved you and what it took and how he did it and where he is now. And so just remember all of this. And if you really catch the irony in the song is it kind of describes us and how we're received by the world. And, and in turn, we can exalt him by obeying and submitting, humbling ourselves and trying to um, you know, live a righteous way in response to what he did for us. That's kind of the goal there. But think of these things as, as Jonah leads us in exalted at the en end of the service this morning. Right now, though, we need to be thinking about our relationship with God, be thinking about that right now, because you could sing exalted all you want, but if you're not in a relationship with God, then it doesn't matter. Um, all of what we just talked about, all of what Jesus did, and how we did it, what Matt wrote about was for you. Uh, the plan has been worked out. Jesus, he, 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 was, he, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected. And now he is reigning and ruling over his kingdom. And of course, his, his death, his resurrection, the blood, there's power in that blood, that divine sacrifice. The blood's what covers us. But there's power in the blood, and if we can help anyone this morning to just have that peace and to be freed from that, that burden, um, this, is a, this is a great moment. Nothing is more important than this moment, if that is something that you need to handle and take care of, and everybody here will just put their arms around you if you make the most important decision that you'll ever make. So if we can help anyone this morning, come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.